Hello, fellow fantasizers, and welcome to the podcast, Preoccupation with Fantasy. I'm your host, Dylan Shash, and this is Episode 7. So if you are a devout listener of the show, you might have noticed that I did not put out an episode last week, I think it would be, Um, and... That was for a number of reasons. One is that I was very busy. So a lot has happened to me in the past few weeks. I started at a new job. So I did orientation um, maybe like less than two weeks ago. And now for the past few days, I've been doing trainings. And starting tomorrow, or I guess today if you're listening to it now when it comes out, I will officially start, and so I am a crisis worker for the mental health crisis hotline for the county that I live in. So there's this 24-7 crisis hotline that people can call, and I'm one of the people that answers the phone. So I just started that, and I'm excited about that, but that's been taking up a good bit of my time, you know, getting all the paperwork in and training. Um, and the other thing is that I interviewed and got accepted into a new graduate program. So that has also happened in the past two weeks. Um, I interviewed, I think last Thursday it was, and I got accepted, um, maybe on Tuesday of this week. I could be getting this all wrong. It's pretty recent. Um, but I'm really excited about it. It is a PhD program at Point Park University, which is a university here in Pittsburgh. And if you um, recall from my previous episodes, I was a I you know dropped out of, of grad school, um, went out in Philadelphia, and I was in the process of applying to three other grad schools closer to where I live. And Point Park is the only one I actually finished the application for. And that was because I was, I think I talked about this in um, last week's episode. I was um, only motivated, you know, genuinely motivated to finish that one. And so it's the only one I actually finished. And it was the one I really wanted to get into. And so I did. And I'm really happy about that. Really, really grateful. So... Um, yeah, uh, and I, and on top of that, I went to the doctor because I have chronic reflux and I ended up getting a, uh, surprise rectal exam. So just, yeah, a lot of fun stuff has been happening to me. So I've just been very busy. And on top of that, I didn't feel super moved or motivated to talk about, one particular topic, you know, I I had some ideas in mind, but between not having enough time, I didn't want to, um, also try and juggle with talking about something I wasn't, you know, fully invested in, but this week I do have something (laughs) and it is something that I knew I wanted to talk about eventually. I just didn't know when or how, um, but getting into this grad program has really brought it back into um, the spotlight for me. And so it feels appropriate now. And on top of that, I 
um, watched a YouTube video this week, just a few days ago, that really also reinforced it. And I was like, okay, this is, yeah, this needs to happen. You know, everything's coming together, it seems. So this is something that I, I'm so passionate about that I get like um, frustrated about it almost. And I have to watch myself throughout this episode because I, I can get like um, overzealous about it. And so um, it is something that, yeah, just is like a, is like a fiery passion, if you will. I don't know. It, it's, it's a strong opinion I have. And so maybe let me, let me start by talking a tiny bit about the grad program. So, um, you know, my undergrad is in psychology and I, I don't know if, I don't know if this is like super well known, but there are different schools of thought in psychology. Um, so there are like the behaviorists and that was big during the sixties and seventies. And they look specifically at observable behavior and they use behavior therapy to, tr to treat people. And then there are the psychoanalysts, right? We're all kind of familiar, maybe more so with this, you know, Freud was a psychoanalyst. He's the father of it actually. And they look at more of the unconscious desires and the internal conflicts that you experience, and they use a different type of therapy, right? And there's many different field, different schools of thought. And when you're going through a psych program, a counseling program, whatever it is, you kind of gravitate towards one that best aligns with your worldview and your experience of the human condition. But they all, you know, are unique in their own ways. They have things that are good about them, things that are bad, right? You know, like a lot of other fields and, and different, um, I don't know, intellectual pursuits of life, right? And so the program I'm doing at Point Park is called Critical Psychology. And no, you did not mishear me and I did not misspeak. Um, I did mean to say critical and not clinical. So it's critical as in like you're um, critical of someone's performance. And critical psychology is kind of this overarching view, school of thought, that is critical of the field of psychology as a whole, or at least what it seems to have become in the past, let's say, four decades. And there are two um, big areas of focus, main areas of focus. One is purely just critiquing the field of psychology. You know, what's wrong with it? What's it going about wrong? What needs changed? And the other main focus area is using critical theories, which I know everybody's like, critical race theory. That is one critical theory, right? Critical theory goes back to the 40s and 50s, right? Um, but using critical theories and psychological theories to critique society and culture. And that is a breakaway from traditional psychology because traditionally, even as we see it today, we look at the individual a lot, you know, and this is in part because America is a very individualistic uh, nation that's just ingrained in our culture. And so we view mental health and, and suffering um, 
coming in large part, if not solely, from the, the person that is experiencing it, so internally, and to help to intervene, we do individual interventions, right? So you go to therapy and you sit across one from one from a therapist. Um, you take medications, right, which only affects you. And so critical psychology is saying, well, you know, of course there's some merit to that, right? You know, we're not going to say all of this is wrong. Obviously it's not. But perhaps there are larger societal problems that we're all experiencing that might be contributing to our mental health issues that we're just overlooking and that we're treating individually instead we should try and be changing society right so that's what the program is about you know that was an oversimplification of it by a lot but i'm really excited about it because that is how i think um part of the reason i dropped out of my grad program is because i started to quickly become disillusioned with individual intervention right because that's what you do as a, a counselor is you um provide therapy to clients one-on-one -on -one. and you know of course you can do couples therapy and you can do group therapy but the largest subset is individual psychotherapy and you know i'm not dissing on it by any means you know I, i'm in therapy right now i love it we need therapists absolutely the world the world would be a terrible place if we didn't um but yeah i just i see bigger more foundational if you will issues in our society as a whole that i just can't be content um approaching at an individual level so that's a little bit about the program why am i bringing this up i bring this up because it fits into our topic today i think the first focus area more so you know the critiquing psychology and so that was a big motivation and then what really got me saying okay this needs to be talked about right now <laughs> is i was watching uh i was watching a video on youtube and it was from a channel that maybe i saw a video before in the past but i didn't recognize it i definitely did not subscribe to it and i think it is a relatively new channel because i think it had like hundreds of thousands of subscribers but not you know millions um it was on my recommended feed right you know it, it shows videos that it thinks that the almighty algorithm thinks you might be interested in and i i often don't click on those you know unless they're from my uh subscribers list in fact i can i'll actually and if you don't know this is a cool trick you can if you're on your phone anyway i think it's the bottom right of the video there's those three little vertical dots and you can click on it and it gives you a bunch of options but two of them are i'm not interested in this video and the other one is don't recommend this channel to me and i actually click on those a lot partially because i just want to fuck with the algorithm but also because um i don't want to you know just click on stuff that like is mind-numbingly interesting to me of course i like that every once in a while but um you know, and, and of course you watch like one video that is deviating from your traditional feed and then YouTube's like, oh, okay, you want this kind of stuff and it just floods it. Um, so I do that a lot, but this video had an interesting title 
And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check this one out. And it was, I think it's entitled, It's All in Your Head. Um, probably should have looked it up before, but <laughs> it's in the description. And before I watched it, I said, okay, I, I'm either going to really love this video or really hate it. And so I have to watch it and see, right? And that's always a, that's always a, a good way to, you know, a good, honest, open, uh, minded way to approach a video is with that black and white thinking. But it started with the basic premise of people say this phrase, it's all in your head in this derogatory manner. And that can be confusing to us because to some degree we do believe it is in our head, right? I mean, that's where your brain is. That's where your mind is. That's where your thoughts and feelings come from, right? And while I appreciated the premise of how that can be confusing to us, because I think it is, I, there's like this um, movement to never say those words, it's all in your head because there's no merit to it. But I don't think that's true. I think we all know to some degree, like, yeah, you know, it is psychological. It is in my head a little bit. So I appreciated that. But once the um, person in the video said about the brain, I was like, okay, yeah, I know where this is going. And I did, right? Because it was saying... There's all this convincing research and evidence about the neurobiological basis of mental illness, right? And it went on to explain the basics of um, like our current understanding, right? And so let me preface this by saying that I am not ignorant to the neurobiological and more generally speaking, the physiological basis of mental health right? I get it. You know, I'm not an expert by any means, but, um, I just, I find it fascinating. So I read about it, of course, so, you know, still today, I, I genuinely enjoy reading about it. I was a psych major and a biology minor in my undergrad. So I got to, you know, see the connection between the two. And, um, you know, I, I just, I believe the science, <laughs> right? Um, and in extension to that, I'm, I'm not, in terms of treatment, I'm not anti-medication. I'm not, right? I will self-disclose right now that I am on currently three different psychotropic medications. Okay, so I'm not denying the biology behind it. I'm not denying the efficacy um, or the utility of psychotropic medications. But my issue with this video and with this topic, more generally speaking, is that we present the neurobiological basis as sometimes the sole cause of mental health, but I think more often it is presented as the primary cause of mental health. And my issue with that is one, I think it's simply inaccurate. I think it's just ignorant of um, the science and of the human experience. And two, I think it is inappropriate. I think it's it's a short-sighted perspective about mental health. Um, but you know, I, I 
I, I agreed with what was in the video. It was talking about the role of neurotransmitters and um, some more modern uh, beliefs about neuroinflammation and the, the vagal tone of the mom and how that can be passed, you know, to children, right? Um, and it was a short video and, you know, that's, it ended there, right? That, that's what it talked about. And, you know, so the premise was it is all in your head because your brain is in your head and your brain has this biochemical issue or maybe even this anatomical issue. And that's why you have mental health problems, at least to a strong degree. That's why. And my issue with this, to give an example, is if someone goes to their healthcare professional, right? Their PCP, whether it be a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician associate, um, they change the name from physician assistant to physician associate now. Um, but if they, go, if they go to them, or even, a, or even a psychiatrist for that matter, and they say, I feel worthless. I feel depressed. I am battling with depression. That phrase, that sentiment, should not be met with in any fashion. It's okay. The reason you're feeling this way is because you have a chemical imbalance, namely with serotonin, and I can prescribe you a medication from a class of drugs called SSRIs, and after about four to six weeks, you should start to feel better. And if you don't, we can increase the dose, and if you still don't, then we can give you a different drug from that class. But you know, the basic point is, don't worry, it's not your fault. It's a fault of chemistry. So why do I have an issue with that? Because I just got done saying I agree with the science and, and I'm not denying the biology. I'm not denying medication. My issue is, if it, it takes away from the person's agency and the person's human experience, right? And um, Johan Hari, who wrote a number of books and does has a number of TED Talks and he does um, talks in so many different platforms. You should, you know, I'll, I will also link him in his one TED Talk I'm thinking of right now in the description as well. Great, great intellect. Um, you know, it, it, it takes away from someone's human experience and kind of diminishes and, and disregards and invalidates their suffering, right? You're, you're not depressed because you didn't get the love that you felt you deserved from your, your parents. You just have an imbalance of serotonin. You're not feeling worthless because you were bullied all throughout school and now you struggle with self-esteem and self-love. You don't have symptoms of depression because of the childhood trauma that you were, that you have experienced. It's rather because of this physiological issue in your brain. And this medication can help with that. 
And even if those reasons are of value, you know, your trauma and your history, well, this medication can still help with that because we need to fix that serotonin imbalance. That response, that approach to me is a failure of the healthcare system. If a provider, I think people are going to think that's an exaggeration. I, you know, of course it is, but it really isn't. <laughs> if, if you go to your PCP and you tell them you're depressed, there's an extremely high chance that they're going to say, okay, we should try on a medication. <laughs> so, you know, they might not use my exact words, but right. That is in large part, the sentiment they're getting across, right? Yes, sure, you have trauma. Yes, sure, you, um, you know, do not have someone in your life that provides you with unconditional positive regard. But I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the chemical imbalance, right? And like, I have all this research that says that these SSRIs, these antidepressants, help, so... I'm going to give them to you. And it, it's just, it's so reductionistic, right? Yes, there does appear to be an imbalance of serotonin. But is that the cause of your depression? Is that the entirety of your depression? Is that depression? No, right? And, and part of the reason is, um, you know, there are people with imbalances of serotonin that don't feel depressed, right? I mean, that's, there's not, there's not a, there's, there's not a perfect correlation and it, it's for any, um, mental illness, right? You know, the working hypothesis right now of schizophrenia is that people have, uh, too much serotonin and too much dopamine. And so they're, they're given drugs to, um, block those two neurotransmitters. And again, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. If you have too much dopamine and serotonin, instantly you have uh, schizophrenia. That's just, it's not um, the case. But you know, even if it was, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, I, I think like demeaning, right? To to approach someone that way, even if you say, you know, even if you do, if the, the provider does a brief therapy, a, a brief intake, if, if ultimately they say, you know, here's this medication, I, I get it. I get it. You know, that that's what separates doctors from physical therapists and mental health therapists and, um, nutritionist, right? Is that they can prescribe medication. That's like their thing, right? So I get, so, you know, someone has to do it, right? It, they're, you know, the only ones they should, um, use that tool, right? I get it, but it, it's not just seen as a tool. It's just, it's seen as the thing. It's if you have depression, then you need this medication. And I think this comes from our view that, and it's an increasingly popular view that mental health and physical health are basically the same thing. 
as if the line between the two is starting to blur. You know, of course there are differences between the two, of course they're unique, but they should be treated the same, they should be viewed the same, because they're kind of the same thing. And I will say, I fundamentally disagree with that. And I think, again, that view is not only inaccurate, I think it's harmful, actually. And, you know, I say that because a frog <laughs> can break a bone just like a human can. And a frog will die when its heart stops beating just like a human would. But a frog does not feel worthless. A frog does not um, stay in bed because they see no point of getting out in the morning um, like a human does, right? Frogs, you know, frogs just don't have that experience. <laughs> um, and I, I know someone is going to say that you know, animals have unique, complex emotions. Look, that's great. Wonderful. It's, it's honestly cool that we know that. Um, you know, I know that elephants, you know, grieve, uh, the, a member of their, you know, flock or tribe when they die, that's, you know, it is, it's, it's wonderful that, that they experience that and we know that, but it, it, it's just not the same thing. Right. And, you know, I say that because physical health, I think is something that like we all share, I guess in a way, but mental health is unique in that it is related to our experience as human beings as we navigate this world. And again, there are physiological and anatomical bases for mental health. I get it. But it is one part of the story. It's one thread in the spider web of the human condition. And by us pushing this narrative that mental health and physical health are basically kind of the same thing. I just, I think it's harmful. And let me, let me expand upon this point by sharing a little story. So I think this was 2020. It was like a few weeks after COVID or a few months. It was into COVID because <laughs> I remember being on class uh, in class online and I was on a, I was on a, actually a new medication, a new psychotropic medication. And a few days or weeks into it, I noticed that I was having heart palpitations. Like my heart was beating in my chest, like racing, like uh, I had a Fitbit and it was 130, 140, 150 uh, heart rate. And I'm sitting down like, what, you know, why is my heart, uh, the speed of, you know, of his, of, of his jogging. And I also had chest pain, right? Like I had physical pain near my heart in my chest um, that wouldn't go away. And I'm thinking like, what the hell is going on? And so of course I Google it. And Google tells you if you are experiencing chest pain that you are having a heart attack and you will die. Um, and so, you know, this went on for like two hours and uh, me having anxiety, I went to the emergency room. And let me tell you, if, if you go to the emergency room and you tell them that you have chest pain, they, you get seen before anybody else. Somebody else can be there for six hours before you with 
you know, dying in the waiting room, if you say I have chest pain, you're getting in the back room immediately. So they take me back and they do an EKG and um, a chest x-ray and blood tests. And they all come back and they say everything came back normal. Yes, your heart is elevated, but it was probably just a side effect of this medication. You're fine. Nothing's wrong. They discharged me. Um, but I still was experiencing the symptoms. My heart was racing. I had chest pain. And so, and still had anxiety. And so I called a cardiologist. I got an appointment. And I went to him. I explained my symptoms. Did a little family history thing. And he said, okay, well, let's do some tests to rule things out. So I got another EKG in the office. Um, I got an echocardiogram, which looks at the structure of your heart. And then I wore, it's called a halter monitor. It's a little device that straps to your chest. And um, personally, I wore it for a week and it measures every single heartbeat you have, every time you have one, right, for seven days. So all those came back fine. He was like, yeah, you know, your heart gets kind of up there during the day, but it's, you know, nothing to be worried about. And it goes really low at night, which is good. So, um, you know, the second EKG came back also fine. Your echo came back fine. You're good. You're, up, you're fine. See me in a year if you want. I'm like, okay. <laughs> then a few months after that, I get COVID and... I think that was like the second day I had it, I had chest pain. So, and I still have anxiety. So I go to the ER again and I get seen right away again. And they, they're like, okay, we're going to do an EKG on you. And I'm going to put these electro, you know, here. I was like, I, I was like, lady, I, I appreciate you explaining to me, this to me, but this is not my first rodeo with this. So I get a third EKG in the matter of less than a year. Another chest x-ray and more blood work. So now I have, in total, three EKGs, two chest x-rays, um, blood work, one echocardiogram, and one seven-day Holter monitor. I was seen by the ER twice, and I was seen by a cardiologist once. And again, this time I had COVID, everything came back fine. Okay, so all of these tests on all of these different occasions, fine. There was literally no sign of something being wrong. And so a few months after that, I know, or I know I was in therapy at this time. And I just, I made this realization with my therapist. I was like, I, I think this must be all in my head. This is anxiety, right? I mean, the heart specialist, the cardiologist himself, nothing wrong. Both trips to the ER, nothing wrong. This test and that test and this test and nothing wrong. It must be psychosomatic, right? And psychosomatic, um, if you don't know, is when uh, uh, like mental stress manifests itself as physical symptoms, right? And so this is one of them. Um, it was the only thing I'd left, right? I know I, I knew I had anxiety. I knew I was really anxious at this time too. And uh, chest pain and, and rapid heart rate are known, well-documented psychosomatic symptoms. And um, so that's the conclusion I came to. So what's the issue? 
The issue is when all of the tests at the very end came back negative and I eventually realized and accepted that it was quote unquote all in my head, that it was psychological, that it was um, psychosomatic. I was not only relieved, but I was grateful that this was the case. And I think in our society right now, it would be the opposite reaction. It would be, don't you dare tell me that this is all in my head, that this is psychological. Don't invalidate or diminish my pain. My symptoms are real, you know, on and on and on. But I, I, I was thrilled, man. I, why? Because I don't want something physically to be wrong right? What the hell am I supposed to do with that? If I go to the cardiologist and he says, oh yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, you have a congenital heart defect or, um, oh yeah, it does look like you suffered a minor heart attack, even though you're, you know, 20 something years old. Why the hell would I want that news? Right? E you know, even if he said, oh, it's something minor, we can you know, treat it with medication, but you know, you still have to watch and you know, you probably should exercise more and eat healthier. But at worst, it could be, yeah, you have this congenital heart defect. Uh, it's not gonna be a problem now, but maybe by the time you reach 60, it will uh, really start to cause problems and eventually have to have an operation, which might be successful and you'll have to be on medication for the rest of your life. And it probably will result in a um, little bit of an early death. You're, you are telling me that is a um, better response than, dude, you have anxiety. Fuck no. I'm great. great. It's in my head. That is wonderful, man. Why I, can, why I can do something about it when it's quote unquote all in my head, right? The, 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 the congenital heart defect you know, the, the, the terminal cancer, the, um, you know, if you have Huntington's disease, the list goes on. You're, you're there. There's only so much you can do, right? Yes. Some, you know, we can cure stuff. Yes. We can treat stuff and you can live a normal life. Yes. We can increase your quality of life. But if you have terminal cancer, it's completely out of your, your control. There's nothing you can do. You're going to die from it. And that sucks. If you have a tumor in your brain, yeah, maybe, yeah, it's op, you know, it's operable. You can get it removed, um, but it might still cause some lasting damage and it, you know, a new one might come or it might have metastasized and you don't find out. But when my heart palpitations, which were real physical symptoms, you know, I, I had a Fitbit, my heart rate was racing. I could feel the tightness and the, the pain in my chest. It was happening. It was real. When all the evidence pointed to it's in my head, it's psychological. Yes, that's great. Wonderful. I can work with a therapist to reduce my anxiety, to find the causes of my anxiety, to cope better. I can get on an anti-anxiety medication to just lower my overall anxiety. I can um, have lifestyle changes, right? You know, um, do things I enjoy more instead of cutting off all my self-care like I usually do. I can eat healthier and, and, and uh, really 
focus on my sleep, right? And exercise. And all of this is, please, by um, all means, do not perceive this as me invalidating or diminishing mental health, right? I didn't say it's all in my head. Oh, that is wonderful. I'm so glad I have anxiety. I'm so glad I have anxiety to this degree that it's causing me to have literal physical uh, symptoms and heart palpitations. This is the greatest news. No, that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying mental health is a gift. Mental, mental illness is a gift. It, it, you know, it, I'm, just, I'm saying that it's hopeful because unlike the terminal cancer, which you can't do anything about, you can get better mentally, right? You can get better. You can. People do. There's things you can do to increase your well-being. Whereas if you have Huntington's disease or um, multiple sclerosis, there, you know, right? There's things you can do to slow the progression. There's things you can do um, to increase your quality of life, decrease your symptoms. But eventually, that is is right is going to kill you. And yes, I know mental health can be fatal, right? Suicide. I get it. I totally get it. And mental health in general can lead to, um, it, you know, leads to early death, right? But there is hope. In it, in it, quote unquote, being all in your head. And again, I think this comes back to mental health not being the same thing as physical health. And again, again, let me re reiterate that mental health is not more or less important than physical health, or it is not more or less real than physical health. It's just different. That's it. Not more or less, not greater or lesser. It's just different. And that's okay. Right? We can, we can care equally about two different things. We don't need to present them to, you know, to force them to be identical for it to be important. And I get it because when people, you know, nine out of 10 times when people say it's all in your head, yes, they're saying it to, um, you know, to be derogatory, um, as in your pain's not real. Just get over it. You know, you should just go for a walk, um, just snap out of it, toughen up. People have real problems. Would you rather have cancer? Right. I get it. And those people are assholes. Um, so yeah, I, that that's a totally separate thing. I, I'm I'm saying you know it's unfortunate that this phrase has been hijacked to to mean only something negative, right? It's all in your head. I think really should mean there is a psychological basis to what you're going through, or at least a prominent psychological portion. Um. And I, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's disheartening and it's frustrating because I, you know, I do have this strong opinion about it. Um, but 
it's frustrating because I really do want people to live their best life, right? I want people to be mentally well, whatever that means for you. I, I just I just think what we're doing is again not only inaccurate of, of the human experience, but just I think it's I always come back to this antithetical to what we want. There is hope in having something an you know an issue that can be worked on. And again, I'm not saying it is easy right but it is possible it might take you years to reach a point with your depression or anxiety or panic attacks whatever it is um you know where it doesn't cause you suffering every single day of your life but you can still get to that point even if it does take seven years so that's um that's it. I mean, I, I, I can honestly keep going there. Um, I just, I hear this so, so often, right? Um, and it's, it's in, it's in, I think, entertainment so much, right? It, and it seems like you, it seems like you have to be on one side or the other. You have to totally reject psychotropic medication as this evil, poison, not effective, big pharmaceutical lie, or you have to hold the stance of if you have a mental health issue and you're not on medication, then you're doing it wrong. And medication is the cure all. Right. And that's, that's black or white thinking that just when you when you have those extremes, you know, probably both of them are wrong. And I think in this case they are. Um, and yeah, so I just, I just, I want us in line with what the description of this podcast is, which I, I think it says something to the effect of, let us be honest and let us be honest and courageous in our attempt to understand the human condition, I think is what it's called. And that's, or what it says. And that's what I want us to do here. Let us be honest. Physical health is not the same thing as mental health and courageous, you know, to be able to admit that in our attempt to understand us, right? Mental health, the human condition. So that we can get to the place that we all want to get to, which is to live happy, healthy lives. So I'm going to enter this program and change the world. Probably not. <laughs> can I change the small slice of the world? I'm hoping so. <laughs> and um, yeah, just, I don't know, just reflect on this and think about this. And um, look up somatic symptoms, okay? Because if you have a racing heart rate, jitteriness, stomach problems, headaches, aches and pains that seem to have no biological basis, it's probably, quote unquote, all in your head. <laughs> the mind is a powerful thing. And if it is, quote unquote, all in your head, don't shy away from that that is not the bad news that you think it is, right? You can get help, you can get better, those symptoms can go away, right? Or they can become very manageable. 
and just use all the tools in your tool, in your toolbox, right? Try out therapy, um, diet, exercise, sleep, social connection. Um, do something that makes you happy, right? Do a hobby like we talked about last week that is of a surplus joy for you. Um, medication, right? If that's right for you, um, just use all the tools in your disposal. Don't just focus on one. Don't be caught up in one way of thinking and one ideology, right? Just be honest and courageous and, um, you can call the crisis hotline and maybe talk to me. Um, but yeah. Okay. So I got through this without, I think, insulting anybody too much, um, which I'm, I'm proud of. <laughs> but okay. See everybody soon. Talk to you all soon.